0: G'day humans, and all I can say today is wow, wow, I've just had the most amazing conversation. This is a goodie, this is a real goodie, this is why we're in it, folks, this is the point of all this, and funnily enough, it's one of the least uncomfortable conversations (laughs) I've had in a long time, but it touches on things that are deeply uncomfortable and strange and weird like whether or not human beings will extinguish ourselves off the face of the planet or whether we're alone in the cosmos or why you procrastinate as much as you do or how fleetingly, blindingly close and precious and recent the evolution of civilization is in the course of human history. I mean, I don't want to say too much about Tim Urban. If you've ever seen the blog Wait But Why, then you know this guy. He, writes, he does these sorts of cartoon stick figure explanations of some of the most important things in the world. Wait, but why? The subtitle of the of the blog is New Post Every Sometimes. And he has whimsical, funny, mind-expanding explanations or explorations of some of the deepest questions that humankind faces. And he's this... I mean, he really should be a philosopher or a philosopher king. But he's a blogger and a TED talker. His TED, his TED talk about why we procrastinate it's called inside the mind of a master procrastinator and on the ted website it's got 57 million views on youtube it's got uh 20 no 44 million views so assuming that people aren't watching multiple times across other platforms that's at 90 million almost 100 million views right there you know he has almost 400,000 followers on twitter and it's so heartening because doesn't talk about all the same bullshit that everybody's talking about and he doesn't pander to people's preconceptions. He genuinely challenges you to think outside the box that you currently think in. This is one of those chats where at the end of the conversation, Tim puts his finger on it. He says, man, this is one of those conversations where it's almost like, it's like if I had this conversation over lunch then I'd say, oh, I wish we'd been recording this and could release it as a podcast. So take some time, pay attention to this, carve out a little window, and please enjoy my conversation with the one and only Kim Urban. When you Google uh, Kim Urban... Uh, you know the first Google question that Google suggests you might be searching what? for. Uh, what does Tim Urban do? Mm. Is the, <laughs>
1: is that the is a very point. fair question.
0: <laughs> and then, what are Tim Urban credentials? Uh, and then it gets down to more relevant things. So, what does Tim Urban do?
1: Tim Urban. Um, he, um, he. He. Uh, Picks he he picks topics that he is really interested in, and then he tries to um, he tries to organize all of his thoughts uh, and maybe do some research to learn more and organize all of that, and then turn that into a um, uh, some kind of uh, package that he can then publish on the internet. And he battles against himself every day uh trying to do this and to not procrastinate in doing
0: it <laughs> and then the battling against yourself becomes fodder or fuel for yet more of your insights
1: correct there there there's there's nothing there's nothing uh there's no topic that's out of bounds uh and anything that is if, if I'm struggling with it, I assume a, a lot of other people are too. So that's a good topic. If, I, uh, if I'm interested in it, I assume a lot of people are too. If I think something is funny or nonsensical, uh, all of that, you know, is, it, and the premise is just that it's a big world out there. And uh, if I'm compelled by something, probably a few million people at the minimum are also. And so...
0: Yes, or tens of million, all, millions in the yeah, case. Yeah, I mean, I'm yeah, if, you if you're get. talking
1: about 7 billion people, you know, it's uh, if you know, in the old days, if you lived in your village and there's, you know, I don't know, 2000 people there. There's a good chance that something you're interested in, you're the only one, or maybe you find a friend who likes it too. But today, you know, just say, so if I said, you know, there's one person in that 2000 person village because it's one out of a thousand people happen to share your thing. Well, today, that's that's 7 million people who are mm-hmm. going to be the one person in every village who happens to be just like you. And that's a giant audience, um, even if you're getting really specific and kind of specific to yourself. Um, which is which is super fun. That's why the internet is so such a fun place to write on. Especially if you speak English, it's like the audience is just so so massive. Yeah.
0: Yes, I sometimes wonder about that. Like it'd be frustrating if you speak a language that almost nobody speaks. Then that's okay because you just learn English. Like you know, everyone in in the Netherlands is going to speak English. But if you speak English or Spanish, I guess then you're fine. Or Chinese maybe. But if you if you speak, I feel sorry for people who who live in like France. Where, you know, it's big enough that you don't really have to learn another language apart from French, but you sort of do as well. Totally. I mean, look, Google
1: Translate and and, uh, AI like that are getting better and better. So I feel like this is soon it will not everyone will speak whatever language that's they want what, to that's in That's what I writing. did think
0: until I spoke to a linguist, uh, actually just about eight months ago about this, who was like, you know what, it's never going it, to, we're a long way away from it, it getting really good. He also happened to be a Japanese-Australian guy. He was like, the nuances, like I just can't, I can't see it becoming frictionless for a, a long time.
1: Yeah, I mean, Japanese especially would be a tough one. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. just it's such a small such a small group outside of japan who speaks japanese that uh, yeah
0: and, and the nuances and the subtleties and the colloquialisms and the you know the mannerisms and all the cultural components that go into making uh you know communication communication rather than just direct translation are so diff- are so tricky for ai even there though up. you've
1: got you still because of the internet you still have i don't know how many japanese people 150 million person audience you know it's it still yeah, beats sure. the, the, the village in the old days. You know, yeah. it's like it's it it's uh, it's I think I if I could just if I only could write in Japanese um, or if I only had 150 million people out there, I think I would still kind of be able to have fun with this.
0: I mean, but, I think um, you I think you're being a bit bashful or selling yourself a bit short by saying that the the way that you get you know 50 or 60 million views on a video is just because the internet reaches lots of people so you're no longer the only guy in the village mulling on this stuff because the reality is that there aren't a lot of people around the world who are already mulling on this stuff you are bringing out or drawing out or teasing out things that people didn't know that they were interested in by pointing them out in ways that stoke their curiosity it's not like people are sitting around wondering about you know procrastination until you point out the absurdity of the way that procrastination is functioning in in their minds. So is it, is it just servicing a need or is it creating a new market for, for ideas?
1: Yeah. I mean, I I think um, there's a broad, a kind of, there's a, there's a broad concept, which is general interest in, a certain brand of curiosity, certain brand of sense of humor, a certain brand of the way people like to consume content, you know, written versus audio, whatever. So right there, I can now say that, that that's a good target audience, people who hit all all of those uh, in the same way I do. Then once you have that group, yes, now I agree with you that at that point, you can interest that audience in a lot of ways. You can create, you can, you can show them it's things they didn't know they were interested in, or you can um, tap into uh, a lot of the psychology that I experience I mean, so many of us experience. So yeah, I do think that, um, if you can kind of learn to communicate well about, about things you're interested in, then yeah, I think, um, hmm. th- there, there, there's a massive, massive group of people who will join you on that.
0: And when, when you say that the things, it's things that you're interested in that you pursue, one of the challenges of living in this internet-y, connected world with such a a tsunami, a fire hose of, of information coming at us all the time, is it's very easy to find yourself getting interested in things that aren't particularly interesting, but that are present. I mean, I'm struggling against this all the time. There are an infinite number of Twitter fights that I could be getting into, which are mildly interesting, or distracting at least. But aren't really the most profound or important things that I should spend my short time on Earth focusing on? And you seem to find a way to talk about those things that are the really big things. How do you find? How do you make yourself get interested in those big things and not interested in the more obvious, readily available things?
1: Well, I mean, it's it's my job. So uh, um, the first bunch of years I was writing, wait, but why? Um, I it's, you know, I I would, I would go into a list of topics that I had created that was growing every week. Every time I had a good conversation or read something interesting or thought about something, I would just write it into the, write it into the list. And, um, and so I'd have to pick a topic and do it. And then, um, for a while I was publishing one post a week. And so I, I had to Get it done in a week, and so I would sit there looking at the Twitter arguments and all the other things that you're looking at um, and as I said that's part of the battle against myself i would I would be doing that, but then there would be this pressure to okay this this thing needs to get done, and then I would you know tear myself to it it's It's like how anyone you know we all are have those tendencies to waste our time, but then whatever we do for a job um, will yank us into that instead and so for me um the, my job is to be yanked into something usually yeah like you said bigger or whatever i mean sometimes the twitter fights themselves are actually part you know when i read a twitter fight i often you know just to use that particular example i happen to like find that to be the tip of an iceberg of a very big topic um a lot of big topics uh, um but i know that wasn't your point it was just you know hmm. how do you um h- how do you focus on um on kind of uh Step back and zoom out and focus on bigger things when there's all the small distractions. And yeah, it's just it's just kind of my job too. So uh, I, I have to. That's, I mean, that's, it, that's it it's helps.
0: interesting. It's yeah, no, it does. It's interesting that you say that Twitter fights are sometimes touching on bigger topics because I find myself. I mean, they're often touching on topics that are currently considered very hot button you know there there are people arguing about whether or not trump is a fascist or there are people arguing about whether or not uh the transgender movement is trying to erase gender altogether or there are you know or, or critical race theory or something like that there's a lot of that going on on twitter and as far as i can tell you don't seem interested in like it's sort of my job uh as someone who works for a public broadcaster to tease out those things and actually try to find ways for people to talk about them where they're not hunkered down in their own warring factions and they can find some common ground. That's sort of the purpose of this podcast, not really the purpose of your work. So you don't seem well, interested in those sort of culture war. Um, yeah, actually, what I, what I, so what I
1: meant is the fight itself, the fact that they're fighting, the way they're fighting, why are they fighting with strangers Right. What's the word? What are the fallacies going on? What is the wording going on? What kind of thinking is going on? What are the emotions happening, and why? And why is Twitter bringing this out in us? Mm. And what? And what? And what is that? What is that side of us? And why is it seem to be coming out more now than in the past? So that's what I was. I'm talking more of the meta sense when I read. Yeah, them,
0: you've just. Yeah, I, I thought it, I was going deep, and you just dug a deeper hole underneath my hole, Tim.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so it's not that I, I mean. Sometimes the the arguments themselves are really interesting, but. I think there's a couple layers. The, the There's there's the layer of the fight, ex- the actual fight itself. Um, so for example, uh, you know, I don't know, lab leak versus uh, right. uh, the, the the kind of the COVID coming from nature versus argument. a lab. Right, yeah. yeah. Yep. So there's the actual topic. Did it come from a lab? Did it come from nature or, you know, or for, from animals or what? Okay. Then beneath that, there's the topic of there seems to be a, a pressure on on certain groups to not to 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 only have this view and pressure on a, another group who identifies with this kind of politics to have this view what's going on there and then the even more meta level you know people are ad hominem attacking each other in the nastiest way and they're like you know and they're not being their best selves and so that's an even more meta thing what's going on there what's that's the thing i kind of mentioned before the deepest meta level like why are we acting like children uh and you know and, and so So I think there's a bunch of layers that are all interesting, including the topic itself is usually based on something important. But I I find the two meta levels beneath that I mentioned to be, for me, more, more. Yeah.
0: Well, let's talk about those. Why are we acting like children?
1: Well, (laughs) so I talked about battling against myself um, and I have written about procrastination. And uh, to me, there's a. it, it comes down to there's two voices going on in my head. There's the the, the rational kind of grown up. I call it the rational decision maker, rational, uh, that is very aware, could give very good advice to myself on, you know, why I'm in these bad habits and, you know, what, what obviously what I should be doing in this moment and uh, what, what makes sense, you know, why it makes sense to work now and play later and um, why perfectionism makes no sense and all of this. And then there's this other voice, that is, it's almost not a voice at all. It's almost this primal instinct. The primate I live in um, is wired for uh, you know ancient wiring that is not updated nearly as quickly as civilization has has developed, and so that primal instinct is misfiring. It's not a bad. It's not. Um, it's it's just uh, it's it's a machine built for one world, mm. and it's and it's in this it's totally doing different what a, world.
0: doing what a primate brain is programmed to do.
1: Yeah. Uh, doing what, you know, look at most animals that we know are, are in that world currently, which is you eat when you're hungry, you sleep when you're tired, you try to reproduce before you die, uh, wherever you get the chance at least. Um, and um, and and that's it. And if you do those things, you win. You're, you're, you're a winner, right? And so um, that voice is, uh, the primate in me is, is wired that way. But in an advanced civilization, all the rules are different. Uh, that doesn't get you by. You have to long-term play it. You have to parse out your energy you've got to make grown up decisions and do things that suck in the short term for the sake of the long term and that battle um is the at the heart of procrastination it's the it's at the heart of i think uh, overeating or eating unhealthy i think it's at the heart of a lot of addictions and and a lot of other a lot of other things anger issues and uh you know cheating uh, uh infidelity you know so to to me um Uh, that's the core human struggle. It is the fact that we are a one animal uh, kidnapped off our home planet uh, and, and dropped into this different planet. And we are doing our best and we are above our pay grade here. And we're trying our best and we're, we're we're pretty damn good at it uh, given how tall an order it is, but we're not, you know, we're, 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 it's not that easy. And we are, uh, there's a lot of struggle. So that's the kind of like the general kind of thing I've written about a lot, this, this, Mm. this battle going on now more recently, I've, I've looked at politics and, 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 and the way we think, the way we, you know, tribalism and, and politics and how that affects how we think and how we form our viewpoints and um, how we treat other people. And I've, I've said, what's going on here? And I, I, I didn't even plan to kind of have this be that same kind of framework. But as I dug in, I said, there it is again. This is the same thing. This is one part of our brain is, is interpreting all of this as this very ancient life or death very very specific kind of tribal lens through through that kind of lens and the other part of our brain knows that makes no sense and 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 is uh and and knows you know you know, you know what hating this stranger on twitter who doesn't even know you and <laughs> thinking and thinking that half of your country are awful evil idiots mm-hmm when that's not the kind of person you are normally, you're not a bigot, you're not a low, petty, small, nasty person, but you suddenly you're acting like that. You, you think that way sometimes when it comes to maybe politics or in other cases, maybe religion or an ethnic divide or a national, you know, national tribalism. And so what's going on. And to me, it's the same part of our brain that procrastinates, that eats too much sugar. That is, you know, uh, that is unfaithful, um, that same part of our brain is, is just trying to get us to survive and is doing what it's supposed to do. This primate and it's, and, and, uh, and politics, uh, unfortunately, and a lot other kinds of tribalism are one of the things like a bag of candy, like a, uh, a, 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 a like, I don't know, some, some uh, fling that's, you know, that that's in your life <laughs> is tempting to the primate and, and, and wakes it up and wakes up that, and I call it the primitive mind. You're, you know, Politics is in the category of things that wakes your primitive mind up and makes it suddenly, it's in the room and it's trying to grab the wheel and it and, and it wants to control your thoughts and your behavior. Um, and the other part, the rational grown-up in your brain does not want to act that way. Does not? Is not? That's not, that 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 person in your head is not a bigot. That person doesn't overgeneralize. That person isn't racist. That person isn't all the you know, different things that tribalism brings out in us. So, to me. That's what I've been digging into is when I look at a Twitter fight, I'm thinking, OK, the primitive minds on Twitter, we, you know, every if I think I call it again, the higher mind and the primitive mind. I know I use different terms, but to me, mm. there's the higher mind and the primitive mind and the higher mind knows what's going on, understands the civilization you're in. The primitive mind is why is living in a totally different world, doesn't know that it's living here. And when I look at Twitter, I see a place where the primitive minds have come out. And they're, and it's like a, it's like pheromones. They activate other primitive minds. Just being on Twitter, especially in like a, looking at an argument, it, it, it's like, um, it, it wakes up. It, it's like contagious. Mm. It brings us all down to, into our primitive minds. And, and I think,
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. And one of the things that I think is so insidious about the way that it functions is if it were clear to us when we're having the argument with someone on Twitter, that it was our primitive mind operating. I think our higher mind would be better at putting it in a box. But the problem is, and, you know, Jonathan Haidt has written, written uh, beautifully about this with his analogy of like your primitive mind sort of being an elephant that is kind of, that the rider on the elephant thinks that he's in control, your higher mind. But actually there's this elephant that's galumphing around and the rider is sort of retroactively claiming to be directing the elephant, uh, but is is frequently out of control of the elephant. That the primitive mind it strikes me, at least from my personal experience, can hide itself as the higher mind. And you think that you're making arguments on the basis of pure reason, but actually what you're doing is making ad hoc justifications for what your instinct tells you is probably true.
1: I think, I think of it as um, the primitive mind is, when it gets active, it fills your brain with fog, is kind of the term I use. Like, and the fog blocks your consciousness and so you you when you're in the fog by definition you don't know you're in the fog right once you know having that realization that i'm in the fog here i'm i'm down in primitive land can snap you out of it but when we're in it is specifically when it's very very hard for us to see that we 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 become we lose our consciousness a little bit um and, um, so yes, I think, I think, uh, that that's, there's a lot of, you know, there's, there's Heights elephant in the rider. Um, there's, you know, you can go back to Freud. This is, this is a concept, you know, as old as time. And, um, uh, and, and, and to me, yes, there's, if, if it, there, there's a few states we can be in, we can be totally consumed with our primitive mind and legitimately lose consciousness. Um, you know, for example, sometimes I'll legit open my phone while working, because I realized I have to send one text just, mm. just for logistical reasons. And I open the phone and 20 minutes later, I am somewhere on that phone. And I I I must snap out of it. and say, mm. what was I just doing? Mm. I, I, I like, what, why, why am I on my phone? And then I remember, yeah. and then, then I put the phone down, I get back to work and then I'm like, Oh, I have to send that text. So I never <laughs> even sent the text. And so the, 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 uh, the, the primitive mind woke up and took over the wheel and I filled with fog and I was doing something and just literally lost consciousness in a crazy mm. way. Um, And, uh, and so obviously not losing consciousness, like, like, you know, completely losing, you know, literal consciousness is that you're, it's that you're not here, the, the, the executive function in the brain, the higher mind has just, just, just been totally clouded out with fog in that moment and just left the building or, um, uh, and so, um, so, so yeah, so, so I think, I think there's, there's that state. Then there's a state when you know you're in the fog, you know, or you, you, you know the print of mind is fighting against you. You're aware. You know, when I'm procrastinating, I'm often thinking to myself, I'm doing this thing. Mm. I am I'm researching way too long. I'm not writing right now. I should be writing. This is not logical. This does not make sense. Um, and so I'm aware that I'm doing it and I still don't have the willpower. You know, just a lot of times when we're eating badly, it's not that we lose consciousness and we realize later, oh, my God, fries are bad for you. What do I do? We knew. At the time, and we had an internal struggle, and the, the the primitive mind just won, like literally, just was stronger, the stronger mm. character. Um, and then there's the times when the primitive mind is uh, very, in, we're in control of it. It's like a pet; it's on a leash, and we're controlling the leash. And we can give it a little snack, but then we stop. And we all have these moments. Some some of us have you know, are better at it than others, but when we're just being a grown up, and we're very in control. And for most of us, I think we can look at parts of our lives where we are really good at controlling the primitive mind. You know, some of Mm. us just never drink a soda when, when it's available, even though we would like to, we, we just, we just don't have that problem. Uh, But then we have this different problem. So, so most of us, I I would say have, have, are the places that, uh, that our primitive mind struggles are very,
0: it's interesting because as you're saying that I'm realizing that yes, sometimes my higher mind is in control of my primitive mind, but more frequently, my higher mind thinks it's in control of my primitive mind, but it's actually the primitive mind that's operating behind the scenes. So, uh, you know, like I don't, I don't drink anymore, but uh, when, I, when I drank, uh, I, I wasn't an alcoholic, I would say, but I drank more than I more than was healthy and more than, uh, more than I was in, in, t- in full control of. And what would often happen would be, like I probably shouldn't drink in this situation, I'm going to have to work later on in the afternoon, but we're at lunch, other people are drinking, I might as well just have a beer. Now that thought process feels like my higher mind like it feels like there's no harm in having a couple of beers here and it's not going to be that bad in the long run because i know that i'll still be able to work but i now regard that as being a counterfeit higher mind and the primitive mind actually just camouflaging itself as reasons when in reality my lizard brain or reptile brain just wanted wanted alcohol
1: but how about the times when you want you want alcohol or you want to have a dessert? Badly, you desperately want it, and you say, "You know, no, I'm not going to do that," and you and you resist. So I, I think there are, you know, I think that what, one of the common things in the literature today is this idea that the primitive mind is always running the show, and that the that the, the kind of the higher mind type type part of our brain is always just um, the illusion of of control, right? And so that's right. kind of what you're saying. And, and, so and to good. me, I, I mean. F- it-
0: yeah, at least more frequently yeah. than we than we than we realize. Oh, I mean, for sure, for I, sure, more frequently. To some extent, to some extent, I, I it's almost a definitional or like linguistic question. I mean, it's almost semantics. You say like, what about those occasions when you really, really want the chocolate, but you decide not to? I mean, I would sort of argue like the fact that you decided not to meant that I didn't really want it. Like, if I really wanted it, then you know, if my primitive mind really wanted it, it would find a way to cajole my higher mind into finding a rationalization to have it. And the occasions on which I don't have the the chocolate that I know I shouldn't have are occasions when my primitive mind just didn't seek it so much. Well, you can also, really, yeah, you can could argue it. that like,
1: there are times when you want the chocolate but you're you also are vain and don't want to be fat and your primitive mind cares about both of those things <laughs> and maybe your primitive mind is actually you know saying you know yes okay let's i, I for selfish reasons i agree let's not have the chocolate but i mm. do think there are times when because the thing about the primitive mind is it can't think long term and that's the problem you know it, it's it's um when you have to sometimes the the dopamine hit that you would get from working hard uh you know, the dopamine hit you would get in a month from the reward that would come then is unbelievable. And the primitive Mm. mind would want that if it knew it was there, but it can't see a month ahead. So it can't, so it, it, so it will never, it'll always want to just do what's fun that minute or that hour, because it's too far away for the primitive mind to get excited about. And I think that there are really, there are times when that you are making a decision that every part of your short-term instant gratification brain hates the decision and you make the decision anyway. You make a very grown-up decision that goes against everything your primitive mind wants because it makes mm. sense in the long term. I do think that is an example of you know the the higher mind saying, you know, at, overpowering the primitive mind yeah, and right. saying no, you are, you know, acting like a, a parent in charge and saying right no, I, I know yeah, you want it, out of the bed, answer is no. To the gym, even though you yes. don't want to yeah, yeah. Yeah, the answer is no. And and so to, to me I think it's a sliding scale. I think that when we are in a I think of it as a vertical ladder, you know, with four rungs is kind of hiding when we're on the, we're down in the lower rungs Yeah, we're in the fog and the primitive mind is running the show and we often can't see that it's even happening. And even when we can, we can't overpower it. And even when we think we have control, it's an illusion and it's really the primitive mind is still running the show. But I do think there's a higher part of the ladder that humans can be on, which makes us unbelievable creatures. This is part of why uh, we, we, we can build such an amazing civilization um, is that I think we, we have this incredible ability uh, that other animals don't have to truly like really override our primitive brain at times. We're not good at it. It's very hard. We're not good at it. And, and we fail probably more often than we succeed, but I do think we can succeed at it. And, and, um, And it, it that, sounds yeah. like it
0: sounds like you are somewhat not on the bandwagon that seems to be popular at the moment, which which is, uh, I suppose, there's a co- kind of consensus among very smart people with capital V, capital S, capital P, mm-hmm. uh, especially in Silicon Valley, that free will is an illusion, that we don't, that you know, that we are ultimately just kind of constantly making post hoc rationalizations for everything, and that. Uh, yeah, that we are driven by, by our passions as much as anything. Do you think that goes well? That's, 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 too that's, far?
1: That's, that's thinking fast and slow, Daniel Kahneman. I know that's kind of a Bible in Silicon Valley. And I, yeah. I, I think the truth is, I'm not, I'm not, so I'm not, you know. I don't know. Actually, I think,
0: I think Danny Kahneman's closer to what you're, you're saying, which is that there is a slow mode and there is a fast mode, and you can toggle between the two. I guess I'm talking about there being uh, a bias in Silicon Valley that goes even further than that and says there actually is no escape from the, the elephant.
1: Yeah. You know, I, look, I'm not going to, you know, I I haven't done hard research on this. I've read a ton of research on it. Uh, and, and the fact that the research is conflicting a lot of the time makes me feel confident that I can, you know, sometimes when I have an intuition and it's based on my own experience, um, then I'll test it with research. And if the research all says something else, then I will usually say, okay, this is one of those times when intuition is just wrong, which is very common. But sometimes the research is all over the place and some of it, you know, some, Great thinkers seem to agree with my intuition and others don't. Then I start to say, okay, you know what? Then I'm going to run with my intuition here because it seems like we don't know either way. And so my intuition seems as good a place to, to, to anchor to as anywhere. And to me, I I think it's regardless of what's actually going on in the brain, I think it's more useful if we're trying to self-improve and understand our own behavior, um, I think it's more useful to think of it as a sliding scale that uh, that 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 go that that ranges from different mindsets and art. We can be in a headspace up at the top of the ladder at times when we we do have some kind of um, uh, will over our actions and and can make decisions that conflict with our nature and can do things that our rational brain knows is correct, and then other times when 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 that's not true. Um, so I, I've read it all. I've, I've read those things, and I I, I it's, to me it's yet to click yet to click this concept that. Um, that that there's that the primitive mind is always the one in charge because mm. I, I think the primitive mind is quite dumb and um, and, <laughs> so, and, so, and yeah
0: yeah well so Tim let's assume there's this ladder let's take your uh, your worldview as a as a given or your view of humanity as a given and there's this ladder at the bottom the, the the primitive mind is in charge and at the top we're in some kind of a state where the higher mind is in in charge where does the ladder come from like why are people why are hum- why are Homo sapiens in possession of this higher mind or consciousness in a way that most other mammals don't seem to be.
1: You know, I don't know. I mean, the, the, the physiological definition I think is would be that we have a very, very impressive neocortex. Um, that is, you know, a, the, the part of the brain where more this kind of more, uh, long-term thinking, big picture thinking, you know, you know, visualizing the future, um, and, and is that know, just something really, that's it, been
0: selected for by natural selection?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think, I think that it's a quint, you know, I don't think it, I think it happened to happen that way. Mm. Um, and it's obviously not a very common thing because it's very, very, it's, it's humans are the only species who have gotten to this place. Um, uh, at least uh, out of those alive, I don't know about the other humans. Um, but, um, and, um, and so we, we, uh, I, I so i i you know i I couldn't tell you exactly why but it, the, f- the fact is it it happened and so we have this um this executive function this 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 it's this ability to you know to really make long term plans and to just to understand that they're to see the long term picture and be able to kind of not only understand that certain behavior will should make sense now to prepare for later or to plan something for later but to actually act on that in the face of our primitive instincts and override that and do, you know, hard work that seems to make no sense for any immediate thing to our primitive mind because our yeah. higher mind makes. So to me, that is incredible. And that's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a combination of the two because you have those abilities now combined with the same exact kind of selfish, you know, primitive animal that wants to, uh, that wants to acquire resources and reproduce and be safe and conserve energy. And so when you you, you know, a system like a, you know, the, the uh, kind of the, the thing with, you know, a capitalist system is you can harness the primitive mind, but instead of having it run wild, you can actually build a system where primitive minds running wild turns into productivity, turns into progress. Um, uh, so it's not that, you know, it's not that our civilization was built by a bunch of higher minds. No, there, it was built by mostly primitive minds, but there were, there were some very smart higher minds along the way that were able to kind of um, construct a system that, uh, that, mm. that, 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 harness the primitive mind. And then, and then, you know, and then there's enough higher mind going on in the individuals to, to, to control their primitive minds instincts to just go for immediate gratification and, and, and kind of force some long-term, uh, long-term development of projects and ideas in it. So it's some kind of dance between the two
0: yeah. uh, that has
1: created this incredible civilization, but it's also, it means that we're not so great at living in it either because it's really out of our, we're out of our elements.
0: Well it's so new as I mean it, what it amazes me is how sort of non-linear the the like the advance of of our species is in comparison to others it maybe it's just my bias but i don't think it is like we've clearly transformed the world and like going to the moon and stuff like that is something that is of a different magnitude than the difference between dogs and cats or rats and, and mice even though we're e- equally close to chimps as you know or closer than those animals are to each other we are clearly doing something we're up to something different than chimps are and maybe that's a combination of discovering fire and just having the right tongues so that we can talk to each other and make plans and hold each other to account and have conversations like this one but it's, there seems to be some sort of tipping point that you know religious people would regard as being the injection of a soul and I'm not and as a secular person I'm not quite I'm never quite sure what to make of that that disjoint
1: well I think if you um, if you took a a, a human baby And you, you know, raise them in the woods with no knowledge or anything. I don't think they'd even be able to make a decent spear, you know, let alone fire, let alone make an iPhone. Right. Like, right. um, And and so and I think probably if you went back, um, I don't know, 50,000 years, 100,000 years and and you, you know, an alien were observing uh, life here, they they might notice that something is special about these humans, but I'm not sure it would seem that special. I think that the, the the actual human individual human and the individual chimp aren't that different, aren't nearly as different as we think they are. Right. Um, The thing that is, it's, it's, it's the ability to yes, language, like you said, and the ability to um, accumulate knowledge. So one person think about, you know, navigating the stars, you know navigating, using the stars. Uh, One person, discovered something about weird about the North star at some point. Uh, And, and that was obviously a very smart early human and who had time and, and maybe got lucky a little bit. Um, But then, you know, uh, or, or, you know, another human ate a berry and it made them sick. Um, They can now teach their kids uh, about, you know, navigating using the North star and, um, and not eating this berry. And then the next generation, uh, you know, maybe, maybe, 10 generations just just retain that info. But maybe at the 11th, there's one person who figures out something new about the North Star and how actually it can show you latitude based on how high it is in the sky. Um, But also it can show you, um, you know, there's ways to, you know, understand which is ways east and west, but also latitude. Okay. And then someone else discovers, you know, something new with um, some kind of crop. And you can just see how, what I think of it as a knowledge tower is that every individual human's, you know, knowledge that tribe can develop a knowledge t- tower like a pile in the middle of their camp next you know there's the campfire and then there's this pile of knowledge and that knowledge can grow and grow and grow and grow and that tribe over time can become um, way smarter as a as a group than any individual human, because because the, the, that knowledge tower can now be installed into everyone's brain upon birth, and they can that's mm. their starting point. Now they can develop upon that, and eventually you start having the agriculture revolution. You have the tribes moving in together, and now they can compare notes amongst thousands of people, and now the the they, all the knowledge pile you know piles can can move together, and then eventually you start writing, and now you have even more you know, better at retaining these things. Uh, and you can go from there. And soon you have a tower that is like uh, the, the largest skyscraper in the world of knowledge. And when you have someone like Einstein, he's born on top of that tower. So he's, he's born, he's st- he first can go and learn all the things he needs to learn from that tower and then develop. Uh, and then from there can spring the theory of relativity, um, where there's no way he's coming up with that on his own. Not even mm. close, right? So it's, this is, apes can't do this. They can't. There's, there's, there's nothing uh, a tribe of apes, a tribe of chimps knows that. A hundred generations ago, one of them figured out. I mean, maybe I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes there's certain things that can be passed along, and but very, very low res, very vague information. Very, you know, there's mm. there's no, you know, the, using you a know, the, stick to get the ants out of a tree or something. Yeah, the complexity of the info that can be passed on, the learnings that can then accumulate and build. And I, and I call this thing the human colossus. It's this this vast power of knowledge that that we that this whole species now has. And then, of course, now you get to the modern times, you have, you know, right, you have uh, the printing press and then you've got um, the, you know, eventually you get to the internet, you know, and and um, and it's just this this tower is so vast. And so we are just a primate species, but we have unbelievable superpowers, not because we are orders of magnitude smarter than an ape, uh, not another ape, but because, because we can, coll- our knowledge can accumulate.
0: Mm. And I guess writing comes in there because as you're talking, I'm thinking about like the oldest continuous civilizations in the world are the First Nations here in Australia, and they've been around for whatever it is. I mean, it keeps moving, but 60, 80, 100,000 years, something like that. But without writing, and they find a form of stasis, they find a sustainable way of existing. Uh, but they don't require increasing expansion they't they're not avaricious. they kind of just they're just rocking along for tens of thousands of tens of thousands of tens of thousands of years and maybe maybe writing is maybe writing stuff down makes the difference between that stasis and the kind of explosion that happens elsewhere on the planet.
1: Well, think about hard drives like um the the original hard drive uh for humans uh, collecting knowledge was brains it was stored as you know stored in uh, and backed up in a bunch of brains and that's lossy and it, there's a limit on how much information can be collected um and it requires a lot of you know you know telling the stories and telling explaining things you know it's just it's 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 still incredible technology if you compare it to what else is around unbelievably magical technology but when you start writing now i can store info on on a piece of paper that's incredible i can store info on a piece of paper and that paper when we when we having you know you know so that paper can be handed around and i don't have to be there so now instead of having to come out of my mouth that one piece of paper can travel And anyone who sees it, it's as if I'm there telling it to them. And then they can travel after I'm dead. That piece of paper can still continue telling the message. That paper contains that info forever. Now you get to the printing press and I can say something or I can have an idea and it can be printed and now it can be copied into thousand different versions. And those can all go out. And that it's like as, as if I'm in a thousand different rooms at once, explaining this to a thousand people at once. You can just see the exponential effects of this, uh, and then of course don't you know forget about it when we get to TV and the internet. I mean, it's just uh, it's just the mm-hmm. it's just it's it's crazy exponential effects you see having, which is why you're talking about nonlinear. This is not linear stuff going on. This is you know the the real world. You know nature is pretty linear. You know that's why we, we're not good at com- understanding com- compound growth because it's actually really counterintuitive. Uh, there's not much compound growth that goes on uh, for if for if a group of chimps, um, and and uh, but the but the way our brains are, this accumulation has created. A ton of different kinds of exponential curves, and um, and and the effects are crazy. And uh, it doesn't mean that just because we can make these exponential curves doesn't mean we know what to do with them, or we're good at them, or it's not going to be a disaster for us. It might be, or it might be great. But um, there, there, it's just it just is. It is a fact that a, a pri- bunch of primates thinking linearly have created a world of, of exponential curves for better or worse, and that's mm. just what's going on.
0: It's unbelievable and and you mentioned if aliens came down to earth and they looked at uh, a civilization. well if they looked at human beings without civilization and without the benefit of passing down all that knowledge that you're talking about uh, since you mentioned aliens let's talk about alien life one of your most popular posts is about the fermi paradox and the question of where is everybody in the universe why why aren't we why, why aren't we looking at a cosmos that's teeming with intelligent life why aren't we
1: Yeah so the, the uh, I, I, I this is one where I just read as much as I could. I read anyone who, any scientist who had an opinion who had written a paper about it. Um, and there were fascinating, fascinating explanations, potential explanations. You know, no one is claiming to know. I mean, no one who had take seriously, but they, they, uh, there's all these fascinating hypotheses. And I tried to make sense of them. this is, this is, again, you ask me what I do. Well, for something like this, <laughs> I will read all the hypotheses, but just listing them out. Okay, that's some kind of like interesting service I can provide to people, but what's more interesting is what's is there a pattern here? Is there is there and what I discovered kind of analyzing these different hypotheses is there are two broad camps um of of researchers uh and philosophers on this topic. And camp one says, so the paradox which everyone agrees on is you know, why do we look up in the night sky? Uh, it's vast. Why do we see no evidence of other life? It doesn't make sense. And evidence could be a lot of things. We're pretty good these days at looking at, you know, we can understand, we can see the the makeup of the atmosphere of exoplanets by looking at the kind of light wavelengths that they give off, you know, so we can understand if there's, oh, a certain percentage of of, of um, oxygen and nitrogen that, you know, and, and other gases that might, that, that would, say this they think there's life on that planet um, you know we also can take uh, we have rovers on Mars that can look at the finest particles there and you know look for signs we We have some interest and yet nothing, no evidence and you know, of course the, the the other the other part of the paradox is that um, we so if the uh, we uh, our earth life earth in general earth and the sun if the if the uh, big bang started at the beginning of the baseball game. The, our Earth, our solar system was born in about the seventh inning,
0: and you're talking to um, someone who has no idea about baseball. Okay, like, sorry, we are, that we that was, that was, I forgot. I
1: mean, right, okay, you know, sorry.
0: You know, it can take five days, so I have no idea. A single match of cricket can take five days. So uh, you
1: know, yes, make, yeah. oh sorry. Um, so uh, okay, so, <laughs> so 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 you're right. Football?
0: How about football? Right,
1: right. No, let, let, let me actually let me actually just think for a second here. So we have like, um, we, so our 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 sun is about five billion years old right? right. Uh, it's, it's around that, right? And, and same with our Earth. And, you know, in the ballpark. And um, and the,
0: you go with the big ballpark.
1: Bang happened 13 billion years ago. And so even if you say, you know, uh, you know okay, even if maybe, oh, there were reasons that, you know, th- things were too hectic for a bunch of those billions for any life anywhere to develop. And okay, but even if, just say, you know, w- our solar system was around 5 billion years ago, just say one was around f- 5.1 billion years ago. OK, 100 million year difference and say that it was on a similar timeline to ours. You know, it took about the same amount of time to develop life and about the same amount of time to develop intelligent life. They are 100 million years ahead. We're talking about nonlinear here. You think about how much progress has happened for humans in, in 50,000 years in, in, in really in 10,000 years. Yeah. But just say so you just go back 100,000 years, right? We've gone from a bunch of not even fully cognitive, cognitively developed primates to what we have today in, in under a hundred thousand years. Now we're talking about a hundred million. So if humans somehow could stick around and we don't extinct ourselves, what could happen in a hundred million years? That is a, that is a, a thousand times the length of our whole species so far. Mm. So if, if there should be species out there that happened to just start earlier, And they are so advanced right now that they're doing things like they have, uh, you know, know, what's hypothesized is a Dyson sphere where they they actually can uh, cover their whole star with a certain kind of, you know, sphere that collects all of the star's energy. Um and siphons it into the for the species to use. You know, so this this vast amount of energy. You talk about like the ultimate kind of energy source. Um we 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 siphon at the tiniest amount of sunlight. Who needs nuclear um, energy
0: when you've got a nuclear reactor in the sky? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so well, so so he's just
1: talking about trying to capture the sunlight that happens to fall on our tiny little planet and we, we you know, we, we capture only a tiny fraction of that. But a Dyson sphere captures all of the energy that's going out from all directions of the star at all times, right? So right. this is the kind of, you know, this is the kind of thing that seems crazy to us, but a species 100 million years ahead, that should be child's play for it, right? And, and even if that's a rare thing to do, someone probably is doing it out there. If there's a lot of species, we would see evidence of stuff like that. If there were, if it, we, there's, there's actually, you know, a, a species advanced enough, we would be able to. See, they'd be making such a major impact out there that we would see some weird evidence. We hear mm. some some signals of some kind. Anyway, I so mean, even the if they
0: were only as sophisticated as us a long time ago, we would still presumably see evidence of a civilization like us.
1: Uh, maybe, maybe it's, uh, yes, it's it, the, the signals that we send out might be too weak, or maybe they're, maybe those signals are, um, but yes, you're right, even something like us, we're we're not out of the realm of possibility of, of of being able to be detected. And again, look how much has happened in the last 200 years since the Industrial Revolution, since the power went on for the first time, just mm-hmm. give 200 years from now. So just add just give that species 200 extra years, and they should have crazy broadcasting abilities out into space. So the paradox is what the hell, right? And so now, there's I, what I realize looking at the hypotheses. There's two camps. The first says there's there, we don't see any evidence of super intelligent uh, of, of intelligent life out there because there is no intelligent life out there. The second camp says, of course, there's intelligent life out there. We there, there's a there's we don't see evidence of it for many other potential reasons. There's a, lots of reasons that it could be out there, but we wouldn't see it. And uh and I find really smart people in both camps. The instinct most people have is to be in the second camp. Most people say, of course, there's life out there, other life and other intelligent life. And anyone who says there's not is being, you know, oh, you think, oh, just because we haven't seen it, we're the only one. But actually there's really smart people who say that we might be the only one. Um so I'll I'll start here with the the second camp because it's more intuitive. What if, assuming there, the the second camp assumes there is life out there, intelligent life, and that that uh, and that we're of course not the only one. And so why wouldn't we have seen it? And so there, there's all kinds of hypotheses. One is, you know, we uh, we're listening for the wrong signals, like we are listening for like radio signals and stuff which is like a little like having a walkie-talkie today walking around turning it on hearing no one on it anywhere and saying i guess there's no people around there's no people on this planet <laughs> yeah. but no one's using walkie-talkies right so there could be that no one who has the c- capability of broadcasting really far and you know really strongly is using any kind of signals that we're using i mean so we're that's just,
0: almost you know, not using broadcast anymore in 100 years we won't be using broadcast exactly. everything that will be digital Ex-
1: Exactly. And, and and we don't even under, begin to understand the ways like, you know, if you ask someone from the 1300s, how future people might broadcast, they're not even going to be in the ballpark of what we actually do, because it's just so foreign. So whatever they do the might be something...
0: pigeons carrying things around in their little Yeah, yeah exactly. Can look, we can hunt for the carrier pigeon poo.
1: Right. They might be in, you know, in some crazy quantum dimension broadcasting through dark matter. And it's, a, you know, it's, uh, again, I'm using human words that, you know, yeah. we have no idea. Okay, so th- th- then there's okay. Well, maybe they're out there, and there species that are for, for for species that are far more intelligent than we are. Uh, we are like little, um, you know, animals. Maybe we're rodents. Maybe we're ants in terms of intelligence, and they know all about us, of course. And we're in some vast protected national park because, of course, you never reveal yourself to primitive species. This is the Star Trek thing, you know, and you never reveal yourself. And they have easy ways of concealing themselves from us because we're simple creatures. We're ants or something is no, you know, very easy to to do that. And they don't want us to because they know we'd freak out and they're very altruistic and they understand, you know, uh, they they want us to develop naturally. Um, And um, and 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 and, and and even if they wanted to talk to us or even if they didn't care about us, they wouldn't. Bother, you know, and, and this is an example I think uh, Michio Kako gives. If if, uh, if you arrived at an island, you know, if, if, if you know, when he says Pizarro arrived in South America and did he, you know, get on land and start walking through the forest and he sees an anthill and he says, ah, life. And he gets down on his knees and he says, ants, you know, I, I'm here in peace. Show me your leader, you know, bring me to your whatever. No, he walks by the anthill and ignores it, so there might be some giant superhighway going by us, and obviously no one's stopping to talk to the primates on this planet that is a well below them
0: right I like the idea so, that the whole cosmos is just is just manufactured for us and that at some point the Voyager spacecraft is just going to crash into a like a Truman show style wall on which are painted lots of stars and beyond it is something well, that, that's more another like.
1: one that we might be in a simulation, and the simulators might have just created one species and some basic bitch universe that they put out there they say okay yeah just like throw a you know throw a universe in there that's uh standard and there's the, no they're not putting other life in there because it's literally just they're testing they're, they're they're looking they're they're testing a million primate civilizations and we're one of them and they just throw a universe out there and they didn't bother putting other life in there in which case that's a little bit kind of in a way fun because then we get to be kind of like that's like we get to be you know religious people who believe that we are the only life and there is a creator that is looking at us and cares about us. And maybe that's true. That could be true. We could be the creation of a creator and we are the only life in it. And it's looking at us and, you know, but so, so that's, but that does, but that wouldn't mean there's no other life. It means that there's no other life in this universe. And we're, mm-hmm. we're a simulation in the universe, in a universe uh, that has other a life, dish
0: yeah. or a computer program.
1: Yeah. All right, th- then there's some of the scary ones, you know, there's the, um, there's the idea that there's one super predator species that got there first. The, whoever we got their super intelligence first was able to easily survey the rest of the galaxy or the rest of the, you know, their observable universe. And they know about us. They, they're very clear on the other kind of simple species being developed. And most of them kill themselves off. And if anyone gets too, too fancy and they start colonizing other planets, maybe, or maybe they start, they get to a certain level. That seems threatening. Okay, then they just go wipe it out. It's pretty easy for them. And so we haven't gotten there yet. And if we get to a certain level, they'll wipe us out of, if we're any kind of threat. Or there's another scary thing, the dark forest, um, which is a term from the trilogy, uh, the three body problem trilogy, which is the best sci-fi trilogy ever. Um, hmm. and it basically says a picture of a dark forest, you know, with um all these kind of, you know, you know, little tribes camping out uh in different little parts. And um and there's thousands of them, but it's, they don't know where the other ones are and they're all hiding, you know, and, and then someone is dumb enough to, to, to light a fire and, um and, you know, broadcast their location to all the others. Even if 99% of the others would say, Oh, well, there's someone else. They're not going to do anything about it. And they have no ill will. All it takes is one to just have this philosophy that, Oh, you know, kick, you know, that could be a threat out there, kill it. And, yeah. And wipe us out. So anyone who, if you, you know, that anyone who, that the, basically the more advanced species, we don't see evidence of them because none of them are dumb enough to broadcast their location. It's become, it's an extremely dangerous thing to do, maybe. This is the
0: Hobbesian world of uh, of fear. Yes,
1: cosmic sociology, you know, the cosmic sociology, but but the point is you don't need them all to be that way. It could just be a rare, 1% of species are like that. And, you know, in in the super advanced species world, and we don't even have the tools to broadcast far enough yet. But if we develop them and we did it, now all it takes is one species out there who has the that instinct and we're,
0: we're gone right. and anywhere any everyone, ocean, they are all... uh, don't don't thrash around because even though most yes. fish are nice the great white is and not. all the
1: species who could be you know broadcasting their, they have the power to show themselves none of them are dumb enough to do so right. so that's a little scary there's a lot of these you know there's, there's i listed 10 of them you know one is legitimately that we have seen evidence and the government's hiding it when i wrote the post i actually disregarded that as like an idiot thing but honestly i, I i'm humbled up today and i don't know i don't know how would I know it could be exactly the kind of thing that that, that a government covers up because they know it would produce well, mass chaos
0: i mean look it it can the the arrival of of alien aircraft on our planet could be covered up, but you can't cover up the kind of dyson sphere type civilization that's in the sky because anyone can no. look at it
1: true yes that's that's true i I don't think this one's plausible, but it, you know it's it's in there as as a potential way so the, so anyway this is the kind of stuff that you get into with camp two camp two is you know um they say, you know, this, this is what's happening. Now, Camp 1 notes, first of all, that if, that you have to acknowledge that there is a possibility that we're alone. Because, well, you know, of course, there's a possibility, even if it's unlikely. And if that were true, we would assume we were not. We would assume it's, of course, if there were just one species in a in a universe, you know, once it got to a certain level of kind of logic, it would assume, of course, there's a lot of else out there. And they'd be wrong. So, like, we could be wrong. And... Um and so those people they they worry that there's something called a great filter, which is a Robin mm. Hansen term. Um, yep. and and it's this concept that maybe the way things are, um, when, when species get to a certain level, or there's something along the way that um, that wipes out basically every species who tries to cross that point in in, in advancement. And, every species and it's that just, gets
0: too smart for itself. Well, that's itself. one, but it could go
1: go back oh. earlier. It might yeah. be that the great filter is the creation is the the first life itself. We have no idea if that's something that just naturally would happen, you know, you have a planet with water and the right kind of chemicals and just, you know, that's something that happens a third of the time or half the time or 99% of the time or even 1% of the time, which is a lot. Um uh, or maybe it's a complete and utter freak incident that is that is so mind-bogglingly miraculous that like, we can't even conceive of it. And, and that could happen. That could be true. And that's the great filter. No other planet just gets life in the first place. except Just for to
0: species. pause on that one for a second, Tim. I mean, the size of the cosmos is so far beyond what most people can conceive with trillions of stars that even if life only emerged out of a primordial soup every 0.000000001% of the time... The the universe would still be teeming with life,
1: wouldn't it? Yes, but think about it this way: What if um, if you have a cosmos with like literally trillions of planets? There's something that happens from time to time that is truly a one in a trillion, a one in a, a one in a quintillion incident. There, right? If, if the cosmos is big enough, one in a quintillion things that have a one in a quintillion chance will happen right. somewhere. Here and there, and right. so there's some stuff going on in the cosmos that was such a freak thing that ha- it has happened only once. That's for sure. And the question is, is life one of those? Uh, it seems unlikely, but you, but you can't rule it out. Mm. And and also we don't because we don't know if we could replicate it. If we understood how life started, how life can spontaneously start, that would be a huge clue. But we don't have that yet. Now, can we sort of replicate
0: it in a lab? Don't they put put gases in high pressure things and like little things just start wiggling? <laughs> no I, I don't think a, they
1: have not i don't think I'm life not has generated life. <laughs> from nothing i don't think we've ever done that um but that, that's no, just, just the, the, the compounds
0: things. just the compounds of life
1: right it's yep. um yeah, yeah, We've exactly. I don't still don't don't, we don't never got to do don't know yeah. that we don't know how it could have happened because you have to have the first thing has to have kind of like some kind of DNA like the like replicable particle that can Yeah, I think it starts
0: with RNA breaking up. But okay, RNA, yes, talk that's what about I meant. That. yeah, yeah, let's right. talk
1: about But even that. The, okay, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so then you get to just say okay, no, life isn't the thing. Isn't the great filter. That's happened in many places. This very primordial single cell life. Now, the, the one other candidate is um the, the jump from simple cell to complex cell with a nucleus, there's, we, as far as we know, that, is ha- that, that, that has only happened you know, once, you know, that, that happened once. And, and, and we, we, don't, we, we don't know any more times than that on this planet. So if it happened only once, we can't rule out that it's outrageously rare. It might, again, it might be or it might not, but we don't really know how a simple cell organism mutates into a, a complex cell. Um, now, single cell to multicell, that's not a candidate. Going from saying, oh, you know, maybe we're the maybe there's lots of single cell planets out there, but but we're the only one where the freak incident of multi-cell organisms started. That's not true because it's happened over 70 times in isolation right. on this planet alone. It's it's clearly very common.
0: And um, don't we also know that some of these extremophiles that live in volcanoes at the bottom of the ocean uh, are a different life source than ours? I can't. I don't know how far back that goes. I actually but... don't think we know that. I think I think it would be.
1: It's, so I I've thought about this before that if we could get evidence that there's something on the there's some life on the planet that doesn't share a common ancestor mm, with the other life on the separately. with the rest of us, it's an alien species on Earth. Because what's the I definition they, of alien species? I thought species?
0: they were. I thought they were, but I might uh, you be know, I, I, if, if it is. I missed that.
1: I, I don't know, but um, it, 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 that would be look. If there's an alien species on Earth, you know, a, a, if it, as, that would mean that would rule out the starting of life because it would mean it happened twice here. So as far as I know, we haven't discovered that yet, or it's just a right. hypothesis, but maybe, yep. maybe I'm wrong. Um, and then I've also heard maybe, you know, uh, the jump from the jump to human level intelligence. Once you have animals is rare, but it just intuitively seems crazy to me. Cause it seems like, you know, chimps aren't that far away. Like it's like at some point it was going to happen, but maybe it's just such an evolutionary bad idea to use so much energy on the brain. It's so unusually like such that. Maybe that's a very rare thing to get to this level, but I, I don't know. Now the, the, if there is a great filter, there's three possibilities because we're here. So I, I call it we're 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 rare, we're first, or we're fucked. So we're rare means there's a great <laughs> filter behind us. Maybe it was going to complex cell from simple cell, and we are the once the one place or one of the very few places where it happened. We crossed the great filter. We are the the freak thing that crossed the great filter. Uh, that's we're rare. We're first means, no, there's no, we don't know if there's a great filter. It could be ahead of us or maybe there is none, but we, it's just that life, the the conditions in the universe weren't such that life could start until recently, uh, you know, and we are actually the first. We're first or very much among the first to get to this level. So there will be a lot more, but they're just not here yet. And we happen to be ahead of the game. Um, which is, which would be great. I would love that. The first two are both great. If we pass the great filter or if we're not sure there is one, but we're just ahead of everyone, those are both great. The bad one is the third one we're fucked. Um, and that one is that there's a great filter and it's ahead of us. There's a lot of species out there who get to our level. Um, and then we our primitive minds, you know, we develop social media and we develop nation States and there's, and, and, and there's, you know, mass scale racism and other things. Uh, and, uh, and there's, it ends up being, you know, uh, enough weapons. Uh, you could have biological weapons that suddenly, you know, any, any uh, crazy person could make. And the weapons get so scary so much we have so much power as a species that just all it takes is just 0.01% of people crazy enough to want to, you know, do the ultimate mass shooting and, and take down a whole country or a whole species. And they can do that. And once you have that tech, it's only a matter of time before the whole thing is goes back to the Stone Age or mm-hmm. is uh, totally extinct. And so that would be unfortunate. That would mean that we are in big trouble and we are about to have the fate that many others have, have run into. And maybe it's in the next hundred years, maybe it's in the next five thousand years, you know, maybe it's AI that gets to a certain level and who knows but these people are, are a bit grim now i i was in camp two myself because just because intuitively again you know okay i acknowledge that camp one isn't technically wrong but it just seems crazy and what's one yeah. what of the chances i wouldn't bet on it. until i read a paper pretty recently by um anders sandberg and um and uh, drexler and a couple others um and it is a paper that um that is as a camp one paper and it basically ran the sim. So there's, <laughs> I'm giving a very long answer to your question because I like this topic. But anyway, I'm almost done. It's great. So, no, no. Yeah. So there's something called the Drake Equation, which is how we kind of calculate the odds of, our, or it's it's the way to calculate the a, an estimated number of species in the galaxy
0: alone, the Milky Way.
1: Just as a, as a, a, it's a very back
0: of the envelope simple thing. Do you yes. want to just explain what the sure. components so of it's, the equation are?
1: It, It's just multiplying a bunch of variables. So it is, what's the probability of life developing? Well, first of all, no, it starts off with, you know, uh, how many habitable planets are there in the galaxy? So we actually have a decent estimate of that. Um, You know, it doesn't have to be quite like Earth, but it's in the habitable zone around a a star that could be, you know, a, a habitable place. You start with that number. And now you multiply that by the probability of life beginning over any long period of time on a habitable planet. So this is when you get to wild estimates. You could say 1%. You could say 1% of 1%. You could say 50%. So there's a range usually that, that you you know, it's like anywhere from this to this. Then you multiply that, so that number brings obviously you have the number of habitable planets X. Now you're down to a tiny fraction of X, right? Because it's the, the the ones that develop life. Now we have this many right. instances of that. Now how many of those get to, um, you know, uh, multicellular life, and you know, you multiply it again, and how many of those get to eventually um, intelligent life? I'm skipping a few steps here, but it's it's basically like, um, you, you, by the time you've multiplied down, down, down. You know, you you get to, depending on your estimates, this is again this is guesswork, but and, and then eventually you get to intelligent life. And the last step is you, you don't just need intelligent life, but you need life that is capable of broadcasting in a way that we would be able to see. So they're that level and they have that kind of tech and they want to. They actually broadcast, they choose to broadcast, you know. So now you get to a level where even if your numbers are pretty small, you know, you know, pretty small, meaning, you know, I don't know, one thousandth and then one ten thousandth. And then one, the number of habitable plants in the Milky Way is so large that you still usually end up with thousands of, of species we should see, which is, again, this right. is where the Fermi Paradox comes in. Now, with that, with these, what that, what these, with this paper did is they, they, um, they decided that the, uh, that the ranges we were using that people typically use for these variables um, were way too small because it wasn't giving enough credence to the to the crazy uncertainty we have. So, for example, one one of the major ones they talk about is the percentage that life begins on a habitable planet. They think that it's like many orders of magnitude. Like it should be like you know I forget the numbers, but it's something like it should be somewhere from I don't know you know one percent to down to like one over one to the ten to the hundredth. Like the you know, and, and if you if you create a giant wait, wait a second if
0: the if the planet is habitable then by definition isn't it one like if the if life emerges then the planet is habitable otherwise life wouldn't emerge would it
1: yeah yeah sorry so they're saying on a given habitable planet
0: what's the oh, right. chance the likelihood that, that life, life emerges emerge and they think right
1: they think the upper bound the the lower bound on those percentages is way too high in to- typical things I mean you lower it down to where they think the genu- the reasonable. Um, uncertainty would say so so that it's like you know that you have to account for ex- that it's exceedingly rare right and people don't tend to do that so it so they make these ranges that are just it's not that they say it's necessarily rare so they're at the top of their range is that it's might be very common but the ranges themselves are quite large so they make each of these variables and they just expand the range um in in many in a few of the cases and now they run it run it through a monte carlo simulation where you basically can run you know run the simulation at you know millions of times, yeah uh, with you know rolling the dice within each range um, uh, and you get outcomes. now, what happens is the mean outcome they got suggests uh, the mean outcome was that there's twenty seven million intelligent species in the Milky Way alone. So they're not people that say, I'm definitely in Camp 1. There's not life out there. They say, wow, I mean, the mean says there's 27 million. So they're definitely not just could be life, but it, the, the universe, the galaxy has a very good chance of completely teeming with life, like you said. Hmm. But the thing is, if you graph this out um, with like the x-axis being the, the, num- the, estimated, the final estimate for the number that the simulation pumps out each time, you have a very long tail. Which means that the number that that uh, that that there's kind of an, a bell curve that peaks at twenty seven million around there, uh, and that, but then the the there's uh, the tail of the curve. Then it it doesn't just go down uh, to the kind of the, the bottom. It, it extends out and kind of hovers a little bit above the x axis all the way down, you know, to zero. Um, right, uh, and the, the you know the the. The end result here is that the, if you take the mean, that looks really good for the Camp Two. The, the, but the median, or it's, it's that twenty, it's something like thirty something percent of their of the simulations' outputs suggests we're alone in the Milky Way.
0: Huh. And
1: there is some percentage. I think it might be twenty five. I need to look at my numbers, but I think it's a pretty high percentage. A quarter of the simulations' outputs put us as the only forget intelligent life, the only life in the entire observable universe. Forget the Milky Way.
0: Wow. So, the, so it's the, all the about, yeah, is... right. And if people want, I, I'll read this because it sounds fascinating. If people want to find it, it's called Dissolving the Fermi Paradox. I've just Googled it uh, by Anders Sandberg, Eric Drexler and Toby Ord. Uh, it's only 16 pages long, so it, you should be able to read it uh, in one sitting. That I mean, that sounds, whilst fascinating, Tim, that also sounds like a little bit of kind of I mean, it, it's no less speculative than everything that anyone has to say about this, which is that, of course, if you put in the numbers such that it's incredibly, incredibly vanishingly rare that life is going to emerge on a habitable planet, and incredibly vanishingly uh, rare that a habitable that a planet is going to be habitable, uh, then yeah, if if you turn everything down to zero point zero zero one and multiply it, there will be some cohort of of outcomes which are where we're alone. I mean. The, but their point the is, the reality is, we just don't know what the inputs are.
1: Their point is, they, f- they feel like they are the only ones who are acknowledging the true uncertainty. They're just saying, this is the fact. The reality is that, that we are this uncertain about right. how, re- how likely. And so, all these other estimates that are higher, they think that those estimates are BS because they're assuming something they, they have no right to assume. And so, th- again, they're, they're not saying, aha, oh, see, they're, we're alone. They're saying there's no evidence. That should suggest that the 25% chance that this suggests that we're alone is too high. Right. That, that until right. new information comes out, we should acknowledge that there is a genuine 25% or whatever chance. And again, I'm not sure that they would word the conclusion that way, but when yeah. you read this, it made me right. think that, like, I, their uncertainty things don't seem too uncertain. Like their, their ranges don't seem, well, that range is ridiculous. It doesn't, there's no reason to believe it's ridiculous. Uh, and, and they didn't just make the range huge for no reason. They, they actually, each one, they kind of said, what do we think is the true uncertainty here? So the point is, you know, obviously their paper is not something that a lot of scientists would scoff at it, but it just gave me more respect for the camp one. Right. I said, you know, there's, there is a very legitimate chance that A, it's the galaxy is teeming with life, and B, that not only are we maybe the only intelligent species, but we could, we could be the only life. And it's like it to me, that is, I mean, obviously I mean, this is you know the, the famous course conclusion with the Fermi paradox is that whatever the answer is, it's mind-blowing. If there's 27 million intelligent species in the Milky Way, holy shit. Who are they? What are they doing? Like, that's riveting. Like, wh- and then, you know, is there a cosmos? Is there a cosmic society? You know, and what's going on? Um, and if we're alone, that we are the most rare and magical, like, unbelievable freak creatures. Like, it doesn't make any sense that we exist. And I, I don't have a good reason to, to, to say that that's definitely not true. And yeah, I think that makes even more mind blowing to me if we're, if we're alone.
0: How does that make you feel? If that's true.
1: Okay. So I, 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 uh, if we're alone on one hand, I'm like, wow, wow. Like we are so cool. Like a human is the coolest object. Like we are, and it makes me feel very special. I'm like, you know, this, um, this, uh, universe is this dead universe. And that this weird thing happened in this one place. And it just makes, makes us feel magical. And it's just kind of awesome, but it's also super depressing and scary and lonely and i I'd, you know, I'd rather feel like there's a vast cosmos out there maybe someone will save us you know i don't know or maybe we have a chance to you know it makes me feel scarier about the great filter if we're alone that you know oh god like you know I mean, why would we stick around we don't make any sense in this universe also if we're in a simulation there's a chance that they just started the simulation without planting any life anywhere and we happen to if we're alone we might be the the thing the simulator was waiting for and they're they're so excited that it happened here oh my God, look, life happened somewhere, you know? So I, I don't know. I have a lot of weird thoughts about it. I
0: mean, what do mm. you think? It makes me feel uh, empty and sad to imagine that we're alone. It makes, it, uh, in some ways, I think it's almost uh, more depressing than the great filter. Like, I, you know, I'd rather go out with a bang than a whimper, in a sense. I, you know, I, I kind of feel like at, at the the consolation of this paper this dissolving the fermi paradox paper which suggests that there's some non trivial likelihood that we that we were just the only ones to ever evolve that world is the the benefit is that there's no great filter we don't have to worry about crashing into the great filter necessarily because that is not the thing that has weeded out intelligent life that's not the explanation for why we're not seeing a, a cosmos teeming with life on the other hand the the idea that The universe, like I'm reminded of, I think it was Carl Sagan saying that if we're the only ones, then it is an awfully large backdrop, the universe. Like the idea that the universe is chugging along and intelligence, an intelligence that can come together from the substance of the stars and aggregate itself into a kind of physiology that is so sophisticated that it can reflect back on itself and ask the the kinds of questions that you spend your life addressing. The idea that that is just a an artifact that is just a is just kind of noise in the system rather than a signal uh i find incredibly depressing about what the nature of the cosmos is
1: you know i don't know because if we're alone it means that um i mean a it means that there's no dark forest no no scary things going to come kill us which sounds like oh well that's just sci-fi anyway until it happens Right, like the people who were colonized in in history, uh, they probably didn't have colonization as one of their great fears until it happened, and then it was the most awful thing ever. And um, and so, like, you know, a there's this some incredibly dystopian, awful, scary thing that could happen that means now it won't for sure. First of all, secondly, it means that there's a chance we could go on. You know, this is. You know, uh, this is kind of how a lot of people like Elon Musk think. You know, is, is colonize different planets and expand outward, and our technology grows, and we we end up in different solar systems, and uh, you know, maybe d- eventually different galaxies, and we create. And there's, now there's all kinds of different species that are our, you know descendants, and we are like the the cradle. We, the Earth is the cradle of, of a vast cosmic civilization. That's like this legendary place where 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 the where all life started, and like it's cool we get to be those those like great ancestors of the future cosmos like that could be that could be true too and then there'll be a populated non-depressing cosmos full of life and um we are their 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 ancestors you know maybe um and, and also it just it just means like we're the most special things ever, and the, the yeah. most down the middle <laughs> definition of like crazy special, which is just a nice. Humans like to feel that way, so I think I agree right. with you that overall I'd prefer to know that it's a teeming cosmos out there.
0: But yeah, like what's it all doing? Like, what? Why? Why is it all there? So so big? If uh, if the purpose is not to construct some kind of self awareness, but as you say, maybe the self awareness is outside. Like, so what do you make of the simulation? You mentioned Elon Musk. You know, this is another th- another idea that's very fashionable in Silicon Valley. Uh, but, um you know at each point in in at each state, well, I should explain the idea. The idea being that uh, if at any point in the future computing becomes sophisticated enough to create computer programs, little avatars that are act that are actually that have an experience of life, and that you know you can run code that is so complicated that it actually feels like something to be it, then the argument goes in the future there will be so many different uh, versions of these virtual intelligences that the odds are we are already them uh, because they will so greatly, so vastly outnumber the actual human beings who ever existed. So that's the argument for the idea that we are it's actually the two a, yeah, the two in, a, in a simulation. If,
1: if, if, if A and if B, then it's it's
0: almost for sure that we're in a simulation. Yeah, um, yeah the A being the creation of computer code. think it's feels like something if there
1: are it's a, if there are other intelligent species out there like much more intelligent than us is a and b if one of the things they turns out that they like to do is make simulations yeah that, that like like you're talking about yes, so yes it's like said,
0: smuggling in a third one which i think that the simulation argument overlooks too much which is is it possible to actually create a computer code that's so so sophisticated that it feels like something to be it because we don't actually understand what consciousness is or what well, maybe, maybe that's like wrapped into a is. it's like
1: a is if there are species out there that are intelligent enough to, I guess, yeah, I guess it's, a, it's one A and one B, you know, are they, yeah, are, I mean, are there's, they
0: a, are, there's a metaphysical question that I think this whole thing uh, elides, which is a sort of a spiritual question about like, we don't actually understand how compounds come together to form brains that have experiences yet. So there's a, I think there's a bias in Silicon Valley and among tech bros to to assume that it's just uh, a matter of information processing that creates the experience of being alive. And so you could obviously replicate that using silicon in microchips if you wanted to. But for me, that's still an open question about exactly ha- how a, how a, an organism comes to feel like it is something to be it. If you can put that in a computer, then sure, we might be simulations. Uh, this is a, my suspicion, my sort of skepticism towards this is that it sounds a bit too clever by half. And in each era, there is a long history of tech dudes sort of analogizing the cosmos to whatever the technology is that most excites them like during the era of of steam engines and so on they thought the universe would you know functioned like a giant steam engine with pistons and things and like we we always grope for analogies that are closest to hand but who knows it could be right and i might just be a simulation talking
1: i would go farther and i'd say there's a long history of humans coming up with theories that suggest there is a creator that's created us that's watching over us that um that 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 can they can save us you know if, if if they created us here there's no reason they that our consciousness each consciousness here doesn't end up somewhere else in this you know in, in their world and um to me it is a very um it is a way for atheists to um who who you know or, or it's a way for people who refuse to believe um something that com- that conflicts with what they know about science uh it's a it's a it's we have a long history of doing this and this is one where there's no um it, it's it seems plausible in a way that there are other yeah. religious books the other religious books you know probably seemed when they were written and maybe seemed to at least certain people less so today right. um but the fact is Um, I will say that it seems plausible. It doesn't, it's not Mm. that it seems, I agree with you that I would say like, it seems a little like one of those things where it's like the, 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 the Nick Bostrom's like, will say that if a, if B and like, have you all mind fucked thinking like, I, holy shit. And then you step back and you're like, what? It just, it doesn't make sense. But,
0: but, (laughs) but it does seem. It's interesting that you inject a theological component here, because we started out talking about the primitive mind versus the higher mind. And this might be another example of where the primitive mind's craving for religion is co-opting the higher mind's rational faculties to find a way to believe in God without believing in God.
1: I I, I think like when you first think about simulation, it's, it's like the first instinct might be like, oh, that would be so depressing. Oh, we're not even real. We're just in like a... But I think actually it probably makes most people feel pretty comforted because, um, and and the truth is, honestly, like I used to say I'm an atheist, but like an atheist is someone who's, if you're, you know, depends how you define it. Like, do I believe in any of the world's religious texts? Uh, You know, I think a lot of them have great philosophy. Do I believe in their their creation stories? No. Um, But do I think there is no creator? No, that to me is. Is, right. is, I have no evidence for that. So if if you take a big step back, then I'm totally agnostic. Like we yeah. absolutely, it, it, it may not, not even be a simulation, by the way. It might be a super intelligent species and we're, they farm, they were, you know, we're, we're one of their farms and they planted life seeds here and a lot of other places. We could have a creator in our own universe. We could have a creator mm. outside of our universe. Um, it's all completely plausible. And I hope it's true because it, it, it. what depresses me the most is if it's just a vast, uh, wilderness of nothingness that i I don't know why it would be at all i don't know why Mm. there would be a vast wilderness i mean it's
0: it's just uh, that just doesn't pass the bullshit test for me i mean like you know we know that entropy exists we know that things tend towards chaos and decay and the universe is not does not exhibit that characteristic there is something else going on that to me just on a on a pure Common sense level has to be. I am not saying that. I mean, I am not a religious person like you. I am an atheist towards formal religions, but I, I say I am agnostic towards the cons, towards what the whole what it, what the, com, the purpose of the cosmos is, or whether someone someone is up to something here. But clearly, something. Something weird has happened that we're here having this conversation at all, and I'm not saying that that demands an explanation that comes from texts that were written thousands of years ago, but it, it just doesn't pass, pass the, the, as we say in Australia, the pub test to say, oh, well, it's probably just nothing.
1: Well, but I, I'm not sure I think that it has to be something. Um, it, it, it could just be that there, like, because I mean, it doesn't if have to be an intellect, but
0: it has to be something.
1: But, but even if we're in a simulation, like that world is somewhere. So it's like some, for, for some reason, there is something. I mean, this, if you get to the really bottom of this, it's, it's, there has to be either something or nothing. And officially yeah. there's something, right? There's officially something. And, right. and the, the question, kind of,
0: the kind of something is not a vast miasma. The kind of something is a something with black holes and swirling galaxies and, and the settings of well, physics. But, but that just emerges so that just from the fact can, that can emerge and with consciousness and self-awareness and like trees and sea monsters. Like it's a, it is a, it's a something that's different from a gaseous blob. But well, but yeah, well, because but
1: that's what would happen if you had a big bang with a certain kind of quarks there and a certain energy level, and then you had gravity as the the fabric of space time with the properties that it has, you would end up with trees sometimes, or you'd end up sure. with at least you definitely end up with galaxies and stars and planets, and you know sometimes we see these things as more meaningful when it just might be a bunch of atoms bouncing around doing what atoms do when they bounce around, and and this is what it always looks like. I don't know, you know, like. Um, But, but I, but again, it's, 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 why is there something at all that, that to me, to me, this is like the, the the ultimate, like mind blowing, if you do, or if you don't situation, like if there were nothing, that's weird. If there were nothing at all. uh, And I can't even say, you can't say more than that. If you say, if you say there, well, if there were nothing here, well, here implies like, uh, no, no, here is part of something. If you say there's nothing ever, that's time. That time is part. so There's there's just nothing. Mm. That's weird. But the fact that there is something at all is very I think, I, think, I,
0: I think nothing doesn't strike me as that weird. And something at all doesn't strike me as that weird. The universe that we live in with all of its complexity and, and swirling galaxies strikes me as the weirder of the three options.
1: You, you're telling me nothing doesn't... Picture nothing. You can't well, it strikes, even... It
0: strikes me as weird because I'm a, I'm a creature of something. Because when you picture when you picture nothing, you picture oh
1: vast, empty black space, no, 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 that's something space and time like literally there there is nothing and never was or again like it's yeah
0: no I mean again, uh, this this reminds me a little bit of the meta conversation that you were having earlier about Twitter <laughs> within the like inside the tw- <laughs> right. inside the Twitter argument, I find it really weird. I mean, obviously, I can't imagine nothing because you're right, there is something. So I can't, um, as, a, as an evolved primate who lives in a world where things exist, I can't get my head around nothing. But there are lots of things I can't get ahead my head around, like quantum physics and so on, and they, they seem to be real. Uh, but I, if you if you elevate me out of the Twitter argument and take a meta kind of brain, you know, global universal worldview, I, I don't think there's anything fundamentally absurd about the cosmos never having happened at all
1: it's not that it's absurd it's not like oh that could never happen it's just that it's so weird that concept and 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 then of course that's not what happened we that is something we know uh we know there is something and then that's weird like it doesn't have to be something like and 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 again it's like you think oh well was there always but then now you're getting into time time is part of the something which is just uh yeah this is when i feel like this is what it must be like for like a chimp (laughs)
0: <laughs> to try to understand, I don't it, know, like... I mean, I think, I think the, something of, the something of 10 billion years ago was less weird than the something of now. Why? Because it didn't have... Just because of
1: life on Earth?
0: Because of life on Earth, uh, because of intelligent life on Earth, and because of the kind of complexity of the way that stars and planets and black holes have aggregated themselves together from the kind of generic soup of hydrogen that kicked things off.
1: That that second part doesn't boggle me because it's just that's what would happen. If you have gravity and you have this matter and you have energy, you're gonna have yeah, to you end up. I, yeah. To
0: me, you're sort of smuggling in some things that were not a fate accompli. Like there was no it was there's no reason you can always retroactively say, well, you know, nothing is particularly weird because all you need are the ingredients for it to come about and then it will come about. And that's true because we're naturalists and we're not going to invoke a supernatural deity to explain it all. But I also think it's a little bit cute to sort of say, well, if all you needed were all of these ingredients to, to get the cake. Yeah, but I know, but that's still really incredible that there's a cake. So
1: what you're saying is that the is that the physical laws and the physical material...
0: yeah. Um, that is, here that is here is are. weird yeah. itself, yes, that there are physical laws that tend towards complexity and tend towards right. the incredible uh, kind of majesty and delicate dance that we see going on in the natural world in life in uh, in the way that the the cosmos exists, like it all just seems uh, well one other way to think about it is if there's a multiverse if there's if
1: there's you know trillions yeah. or infinite number of frothing you know universes. Then the only ones where life could develop are ones that happen to have laws like ours has.
0: Yes, that's a you that's know. a good that's a good way of pouring cold water on my <laughs> on my sense of, <laughs> of majesty. And that's a common a common refrain. Yeah, if you've got an infinite number of universes, then of course the one that we are in and capable of of observing is going to be one that is tailor made to encourage our life. Because if and the, learned, the, we and apparently you notice. have
1: the if you there, I forget who said this, but it, it's um, if you altered. The like original conditions or like the the, the laws, uh, and, and like the certain amount of matter or whatever. If you alter it by some crazy amount, like 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 I forget, it's like one, it's like like ten, one over ten to the fiftieth percent or mm. some insanely small number. Then none. Then then there could be no life because there. Was yeah, no that's life. right.
0: Like if gravity was just yeah it was just a fraction of a percentage point different in different in power, then stuff again, it could and be that in infinite universes, there's out. all
1: kinds of yeah. Like there's all kinds of different laws and, and tweakings and each one develops some, you know, some, some cool shit that only could be developed in that one. And this one, you know.
0: Yeah. this one happens um, to be us, happens to be you and me sitting here. Why, why, why were you not a philosopher, Tim? What did you want to do when you were younger? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I, I, I wanted to do something, I wanted to make things
1: you know, out of, you know, create things. And so uh, specifically like in the arts more than in, I wanted to, you know, either write music or write books or write, you know, or, you know, writing your music, something like that. I wanted to make stuff. And beyond that, I didn't know if I wanted to be doing comedy or, you know, fiction, serious stuff, or, you know, uh, then I started blogging and realized that was fun. So I I don't know. I I didn't have um, a a very specific direction other than I I knew I, I wanted some kind of job. You know, mm. Making something in the arts.
0: Well, it's amazing that we live in a world where you're able to. And, and congratulations for having found the niche where you can actually express this, like, kind of, you know, all the stuff that that I remember talking about, lying on my back, smoking a joint at the age of fifteen, gazing at the stars. Like, is basically your job. Well, total. To- I should think
1: of it as like, there's, there's uh, a couple categories. That's one, and then the other one that is like, is like, why we procrastinate. It's like, it's like, it's like, yeah. observing. Humans and what the hell's I guess, which is also maybe part of that. That also maybe comes out the two A.
0: I I think so. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it does. Session, it yeah. does come out there as well. It doesn't have to be about the stars. I mean, another uh, the the other thing that I wanted to touch on uh, with you, which which I love, is is the, the the weird way in which we see ourselves situated in history. You, you had a, a blog post at the beginning of this decade uh, on the first of January twenty twenty, where you were talking about like we we basically now live in the future because we're in the twenty twenties, and you know we are now we're now further away from World War II than World War II was from the Civil War. And how counterintuitive that is. And you go through a bunch of, of these, like that, you know, when, if World War II was starting today, then World War I would feel as long ago as 9-11 does. So not yeah. that not that long ago <laughs> and yeah the, the world
1: war ii people must have been like no fucking way really absolutely we're doing exactly. this again it was really
0: recent yeah exactly yeah. Going, i mean that's why some historians argue that they were essentially one giant war World War one and world war ii with an interlude in in the middle um and the idea yeah, that world war II, that, ii
1: was kind of like re- revenge of like you know revenge yeah, empire was, strike the empire strikes back
0: exactly it was settling settling scores that that uh right. that Versailles failed to resolve um, yeah. And then, and you also point out that, like, in 2020, Y2K was closer to the 1970s than to today. And,
1: or, or another one is uh, the, like, all these 1994 movies, Jurassic Park and The Lion King. Um, the, you know, these movies were, they came out closer to the moon landing than they did to today.
0: Oh, my God yeah
1: yeah because we all remember that those don't seem that long ago but it's especially that one's especially for people who were born you know after the moon landing so the moon landing feels ancient history to them Uh, and but they they clearly remember those 90s movies in their childhood you know and and
0: if you're if you were 35 in 2020 you were born closer to the 1940s than to today you were born in 1985 so 1985 35 years Before that was the 40s, 35 years after that, 2020. And and another amazing one you point out is 60 years. If you're 60 or older, then you're born closer to the 1800s than to today.
1: Yeah. Also, the oldest people in the world were born closer to the George Washington administration than they were to today. (laughs) <laughs> um and, and, and it, so that one was true. Let me think if it's still true. I guess it's he. He, he finished in ninety seven. We can just place ourselves
0: in the shoes of your twenty twenty blog. Yeah, person. no, it is. It's like the oldest finish.
1: Americans were were born closer to the Washington administration than to the uh, Biden administration. The, the reason I like these is because each one is a little mind blowing for whatever reason. But it also just puts you're like, okay, U.S. history is not that old. No, it's you know,
0: absolutely <laughs> not. I mean, my, uh, I, uh, one thing that got more of a reaction on Twitter than almost anything I've ever said was when I pointed out, that I was on Joe, I used to do Joe Rogan's show, but I did it about six times when I was living in the States. And needless to say, that has a huge audience. So anything you say, you know, riles people up in one way or another. But what was gratifying was not that, everybody was jumping down my throat for saying something they disagreed with, but that I was on his show shortly after my grandmother died and she died on the eve of her hundredth birthday in New Zealand. Shortly afterwards, I was in Athens visiting a a mate of mine, a buddy who lives in, um, who lives in Athens. And I was wandering around the, the Agora and like the, you know, the Colosseum and all this stuff. And I thought this stuff is 4,000 years old. My grandma was a hundred it's only 40 nanas that democracy and like modern civilization was born in ancient Greece. Like, I think if you sort of shook me awake in the middle of the night and was like, like How old is democracy? Like, how, how many of your grandmother's lifespans were there? I'd be like, A few thousand. Yeah. I wouldn't think it was 40 of my grandmother's lifespans. And that takes you all the way back. Back there. I mean, it comes back well, to what you were saying earlier about I, I love that one. And writing and stuff. Like, it's really recent. You could also say
1: that it's about your 500th great-grandparent um, that um, your 500th great-grandparent lived in a world with only hunter-gatherers anywhere. So, and, and that's, not full, that's not image. full nanas.
0: That's not what? You mean 500 greats?
1: yes that's yes you yep. your your great 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 to the five hundredth right. grandmother lived right. in a world where she was for sure a gatherer because every single woman on the world or every single person in the world was a hunter gatherer um and uh and um yeah so, so that's, that's, not nanas. that's not full nanas. that's not full that's that's twenty five year generation so that's actually yeah, you right. could divide that by four to get the number of full nanas but um but that's uh so if you it's you know it seems like a lot but it's like you, you go back there and those, and so every single thing that we call civilization has just happened in 500 generations. And, and, you know, and again, yeah, or a hundred of my the, Nana's
0: Nana's uh, lifespans. Okay. I, I
1: have a, cra- I have a crazier one, um, which is that if you, because, okay. So this is, there's two things going on. What we're doing here is showing how recent, um, how, how not, you know, humans are pretty new, pretty damn new. And civilization is really new but i can but you can get way more mind blown when you think about i like to think about um uh, if if you if you made a wrote a book detailing the history of humanity um and you made every page 200 years um so just say it's an 800 page book you know and, and give or take that that would take us to 160,000 years back something like that um which is about the length of human history depending on which person you talk to so 800 pages takes us from then to today. Every page is 200 years. You're reading that book and it's almost all the same. You are bored for almost that entire book reading about (laughs) hunter-gatherers. It's only the last, you know, um, the last 100 pages. uh, Sorry, the last like uh, 50 pages that you get to anything beyond Mm hunter-gatherers. And it's only the last... uh, it's, it's, if you think about, uh, hold on, let me just pull up. I actually have, uh, I have this take your time. somewhere where I can make it, I can get, I can be totally accurate here. Okay. All right. So,
0: um, it is, uh, what have we got? 200, 200 years per page. Did you 200 say? 200 years per page. Okay. Yep. Okay. So, so, so Australia, Australia is settled, <laughs> is settled yeah. on the final page.
1: Yeah. Well, oh, yes, exactly. So, so now, but, but, but just go back to tw- 50 pages out of the 850. So you get to page 750 and you're super bored, right? Right, Because you've just been literally reading about How to the Gatherers and you're holding, it's like, it's like the, the, what all that's left is basically like the epilogue, the last chapter. And you're, you finally get to early cities in agriculture. That goes on for 25 pages until page 750, Mm-hmm. So now you're really at the end here and you get to recorded history. It's like epilogue colon, recorded history. You know, and it's like so now you're in the last 25 pages. You're, you know, you can feel like, oh, I'm just about done with this book. You're at recorded history. Um you you go back uh uh to 12 pages and you're at Buddha is 12 pages ago. It's page it's page uh uh seven eighty-eight. You know, uh Jesus is like page seven ninety-one. Um, yeah. and, and so, you know, AD is only 10 pages of the book, but the crazy thing to me is the last page, um, you so the U S by the way, is only, is only, a, is only about a page old. It got, yep. it got started yes, at the end Australia. of page 790.
0: 790- yeah. About the same, uh, same, same age. You know, Australia was settled because the, the Brits could no longer send their, their, their chattel human beings to North America because of North, the North American, because of the revolution. So. That they they sent out expeditions to find another spot to send uh, to send undesirables. That's why the United States and Australia are about the same age. You don't hear the
1: word Australia till page eight hundred, um, and um, yeah, and so uh, so 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 actually, um, I, just one correction is I, I, I was doing the the thing I the, the thing I laid out is two fifty years per page. Okay, okay so cool. anyway, so anyway, the last page goes back to seven seventy. If you think about it, the first seven hundred ninety nine pages of that book. Um, the power was out. There was no electricity. and all that electricity was an, is a page 800 phenomenon. The first 799 pages of that book, um, we don 't use any fossil fuels. We just you know have wind and water and things like that. and fossil fuel era is an entirely 800, page 800 phenomenon. For the first 799 pages, we get around with horse and sailboat. Um, In page 800, we have cars and airplanes and rockets Uh, for communication. The first 799 pages we have for most of it, just oral. And then eventually you have, you know, writing and letters. You can write a letter to someone, Uh, the the television, the phone, all of this is a page 800 phenomenon. So when you you think about um, how many things came out on page 800 that are truly nothing like the rest of the book. It makes you it, so. This is again like a little bit like how it's um, it's an instinct to say we must not be the only life because that seems arrogant. It's also an instinct to think our time is special. It's, it's an instinct to think it's arrogant to say our time is special. It feels naive to say oh our time is special because it feels like everyone must say that. But actually, mm-hmm. when you think of it this way, page eight hundred is truly special in, in so many metrics. It is truly unlike anything before. It would blow the minds of someone on any page before in a way that no other page would, would blow anyone's mind nearly as much. So if you think about what that means, but again, we're talking about you, you mentioned nonlinear, we are a crazy exponential situation going on here. What the hell is going on on page 801? And I'll tell you why this scares me is that page 800 was better than all the other pages in so many ways. It was more prosperous in so many ways. There was infant mortality was the lowest ever. Life expectancy was the highest ever. Um, Just if you think about the humanity that that came out after the enlightenment, page 800 on an aggregate was, you know, medicine, antibiotics, you know, crazy, amazing progress, cars and planes and, um, and, and all of this. It was better. The good was better than all the other goods. But the bad of page 800 was arguably worse than any bad before. We had the mm. largest genocide, the biggest wars. We have something like climate change. There's no, never been any kind of existential threat like on that level in any other page. So the bad is getting worse and the, it, and the good is getting better. So the amplitude of this kind of sign graph is getting higher on the top and the bottom. And the problem with that is the good can get as good as you So the page 801, you can just imagine the kind of good we can get to the kind of unbelievable magical utopia progress we can get to but if the bad gets too low this is what i was talking about with the great filter if the bad gets too low and suddenly now any one person can create a holocaust level genocide with you know with the chemicals in their fridge uh, and you know sp- you know then it's over you know the bad hits mm. a certain level it hits a tripwire and the whole experiment's over so I mean, this is scary
0: not only, uh, I'm just thinking through, the, the, that final page, that final 250 years out of that 200,000 year book, I mean, you mentioned the Holocaust, that's in the final third of the page. The, yes. the space age is the final quarter of the page. And the internet is the bo- <laughs> like 25 years is one tenth. So like the final, the bottom 10% of the, of the final page of the 800 page book is the internet era.
1: Yeah, I mean, cl- climate change—you really only got bad in the last few lines of the book, the, la- the yeah. last few lines of the page, right? Um, yes, because exponential progress is nuts. Um, if you if you transported someone from any page to the next page, I mean, if you, the 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 later in the book you are, the more mind blown they be. So you transport someone from page two thirty two to two thirty three, maybe that tree that they're used to is a little taller. Uh, you know, maybe someone developed a new way to tie the the arrow to your spear, to tie that the spearhead. I mean, barely anything is different, right? But if you yeah. get to, you know, if you get to, you know, someone in uh, the year two, you know, if you get to Alexander the Great and you transport him to the Roman Empire, he'd be pretty mind blown. Um, yeah. But nothing is like transporting someone from page 799 to page 800. It's and amazing. even within page yeah. Yeah, yeah so I mean, page
0: 743 is basically the same as page 347 is basically. Exactly. The same page 119.
1: <laughs> I have a metric called a, a die progress unit because if you, if you brought – I always think if you brought George Washington to today, he, the, the, the show him everything, he would die out of shock. And so the question is how far do you have to go in the future to die out of shock? That's a die progress unit, a <laughs> DPU. And so the, the DPUs used to take forever. You could transport someone 100 pages from page 200 to 300, and you're not going to kill them from yeah. shock. They, they, yeah, not, they'd right? be like, wow, that ship is uh, – that's exactly. a world ship. Exactly. There might be a new kind of flower that, that that's developed in this area, right? So but but as you go through the book, the DPUs get shorter and shorter until you get to just one page. And so the question is for us, the DPU might be only a few lines, right? 2060. Might legit kill us from shock, the way that it, that today would kill George Washington from shock.
0: Maybe, or maybe and- there's all. Sorry, I mean, I'm just thinking like people like Tyler Cowan also have this idea that like there was a lot of low hanging fruit that got that exploded in the past century, and we're kind of uh, we're we're basically benefiting from the enormous productivity gains, not just economically, but in terms of health outcomes and technology that took us from the way we lived in the 1880s to the way we live in the 1980s. But after that, you know, with the exception of the internet, there's not a lot left. Do you think that's a a fallacious end of history? You know, my,
1: uh, my, my un informed intuition is that no, it's going to keep getting, no, there's S curves, you know? So like it, it goes, it's it progress doesn't just go straight up in an exponential curve. It, it goes up in like S's where it kind of, it shoots up. And then when there's a new paradigm, like, you know, the iPhone comes out and the internet, and there's all this crazy progress, and then it kind of matures. And I feel like we're in one of those now where, you know, it used to be that every year there was something new. There was the I, Facebook and then the iPhone, and then, you know, these revolutionary things. And I think that the S curve is kind of, um, you know, it's, it's now getting flatter, but then there's another S curve coming. And I don't know what it is. It can be, there's so many you mean an, it's,
0: it's an S on its side,
1: right? So, yeah. I mean, um, no, I mean, it's like an S uh, it's, 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 uh, it's basically picture. The curve is, um, you know, going up, but not at huge slope. And then it starts getting super steep, right? And then it kind of levels out, right? So that's one S. And then picture now it starts getting steep again. Now you're in another S. You see that? So it kind right. of goes up in, in waves. And, and, and if you step back and zoom out, it looks like one big exponential curve. But if you zoom in, at any given point, you might be on one part of the S and it might feel like things are slowing down. But the reason I, I disagree with... Cowan in this, I see his, I see his points. And I'm sure if you take a step back, there's some ways to look at it and say, oh no, this is, you know, maybe there's a big S that we just got to the top of, and now it's going to be a while, but th- there's so many candidates for things that would just dramatically, that would be as big a deal of the internet, if not bigger, there's brain machine interfaces. We mm-hmm. might all have a machine, uh, you know, a BMI in our heads in 20, 30, 50 years that we can think to each other. I mean, that's that's like the last update there was language. Then the next, you know, if you brought a, a caveman here from 100,000 years ago, he'd be blown away by everything except the way we talk. He'd be like, you know, you two people in a field are just with no technology on them, just having a chat. He'd be like, wait, that's how we do it. You're just mm. talking. And he'd be like, you, you do that the way we do it, right? So th- that, this could be an update to that where you now you yeah. think to each other, right? So. That's crazy. I mean even and be, then before you get to
0: artificial intelligence in computers, exactly. and then could that revolutionized exactly. everything robotics, then it, there's even energy just like self-driving we mastered, cars. We mastered fusion you know, and, and if energy was just as perfectly unlimited, we didn't have to worry about conserving energy that would be equally transformative. There's a lot. How about cry- cryonics where you can pause someone and and mm-hmm. and basically transport
1: them to a po- hospital in the future. So you pause someone before they die and you, you, they retains their or right after they 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 Quote die by our standards, but they're savable for by future standards, and then in the future, um, you revive them and you can totally fix them and give them, you know, artificial organs. And so, to me, you know, life extension stuff. Some of these, if you listen to this podcast in fifty years, will be laughable because nothing will have changed. Um, But okay, here is one. I mean, how many great leaps for all of life can you count on one hand? Like, you know, you could say, like I said. Beginning of life, simple cell to single, uh, complex cell, complex cell to multi cell, multi cell to, uh, you know, you have, you know, uh, ocean animal to land animal. On that same list, it has to be one planet to, to to multiplanets for not just for humans, for the whole species. That is a massive, like, leap. That's just yeah, a crazy leap true. that can happen in the 2020s. Like we we in the 2030s, like we are going to witness one of the great leaps for all of life. So there's too many of those things for me to say. Yeah, I think like twenty fifty <laughs> will be totally normal to us. Maybe mm-hmm. just a little cooler. The phones will be cooler. No, twenty fifty to me, I think will be utterly mind blowing.
0: If you just but went what's there amazing now, is, yeah. What's amazing is we'll probably be there. Touchwood. Like you know, we'll probably see it. And uh, my kids, I think we're going to we'll, 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 we'll the twenty second century. There's kids today. Uh, even without life extension technology, that
1: will experience the 22nd century. And we might too. I mean, mm. the human body is just, a, is just a physical object made of atoms. And, and it's a certain arrangement of atoms that makes you you and your brain. There's no, there's no reason that advanced enough AI can't figure out how to kind of preserve that to back it up.
0: Sure. I mean, um, that, that's, a, that's, a, a, you know, that's a possibility, but it's not likely. But what is certain is that the kids who are being born, the babies who are being born today, the vast majority of them will see the 22nd century.
1: Yeah, even if, we they, don't do anything,
0: s- even if we don't do anything amazing, I, I, by which I would just mean we'll survive past 2100.
1: Right, it, it, exactly. Unless it's this awful dystopian thing where the bads yeah. get worse and the, the we, we, sur- we, we survive the bads on page 800, but we will not survive the bads on page 801. If that's, that's one storyline, that would be unfortunate and it's totally plausible.
0: What storyline no. do you, I'll, I want to, you've given me lots of your time, so I'll, I'll wrap it up here, but let's wrap up with your sort of big picture prognostication. Like if you were a betting man, what, what, do you, what will become of us, Tim?
1: Oh, man. See, I, I, on one hand, I want to feel optimistic because we are a survival species, you know, and we, we have a good track record of survival, even if it's, you know, a lot of catastrophes along the way. But the question is, at some point, you know, as you said, the U.S. isn't that old. It's a new experiment. Uh, humanity is, is, civilization isn't that old, especially at the rate things are going. So it also feels like looking at the past and saying, hey, we've always been okay. So we should be okay in the future. That might not be good logic. It might be in, when you're on an exponential curve, the future might not resemble the past at all. So honestly, I, I, I can't say I feel confidently optimistic or pessimistic i i will say that that means that i also don't feel confidently pessimistic i i, I feel um truly on i feel like a huge question mark about what's going to happen um I, I think if i had to lean i would say optimism because i just am an optimist as a human but i don't have really good i, I couldn't argue i couldn't debate someone and feel like i won that one if they were a pessimist um I think uh, the problem for us is that our, expo- our technology is exponential, but our wisdom is cyclical. You know, If you look back, um, you know, like, oh, the, uh, the Salem witches, we're so much smarter than them. It's like, well, we know more than them. But the way they're behaving is a lot of what I see on Twitter. And, and, and that was also a downswing maybe. And then there was an era you know, in ancient Greece when they were more humane than people 800 years later. And it seems like, w- that we, unfortunately, wisdom does not going up exponentially and that's a problem because the more technology gives us you know exponentially more power but if we're not getting wiser then that's a species that is in i'm scared of that species having too much power
0: and um, that's interesting yeah and so if I, yeah i'm scared wisdom, I, I, if you go <laughs> through periods where your wisdom peaks and then your wisdom tr- troughs and there's a kind of a sine curve of wisdom over civilizations over history. Then, as the technology gets bigger and bigger, the peaks become more. The uh, stakes get higher, and the troughs get more damaging. And maybe there comes a point at which your technology is is so powerful that you can't survive one of the troughs. Of
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. The the big troughs are, uh, I think, the 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 deal breaker here. So the the question is, you know, look, we built. We had the, uh, the enlightenment and, and built laws and, and liberal values and stuff, which is a way of containing our worst nature. We have a history of being very clever recently, especially at, 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 at kind of outsmarting the primates. Right, and the question is, can we continue to do it? You know, maybe as we get the, as the goods get better, we get really powerful ways of outsmarting the primates and keeping ourselves safe from from ourselves. Um, I'm certainly not scared of asteroids or other animals or you know the moment aliens. I'm scared of us, and um, and so you know, can we uh, can we can, yeah can, uh, can 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 we do what we did with uh, kind of the Enlightenment on a much more intense scale? You know, for for whatever the future is going to bring and. I hope we do.
0: I hope we do. Too, the utopia, dude,
1: honestly, if we can, you know, th- this world would seem like a utopia to someone from the, the year two hundred. And yeah, I think that I mean, even in our lives, we're headed for what would seem like a utopia for us if we don't fuck it up.
0: I, uh, I wish more of us could bear that in mind more frequently and, uh, and, and express some gratitude for the bounty that civilization and our, our forefathers have, have bequeathed us. Tim, um, good on you. You should feel proud of the fact that you're wrestling with ideas that so few people take the time to wrestle with and that you're disseminating them to people and having a good impact on people's outlook and the, and the, the level of, uh, of conversation that people are having. So thanks for everything you do and thanks for, for your time here.
1: Yeah, thanks. This is one of those combos I would have had at lunch with someone and said, "Damn, you know no, that would have been such a good podcast." So uh, I'm glad we had this chat. Uh, me too.
0: Thanks, mate. Uncomfortable conversations is produced by Stefan Postuma. Follow me, Josh Sepps, on Twitter and Instagram for all the latest. May your day be fruitful, your mind humble, your enemies generous, and your conversations perfectly, sparklingly, delectably uncomfortable.